Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. We are back, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and, well, we are at the base camp of a season that will most likely be excruciating, exhilarating and probably exhausting at the same time. And there is nobody better to undertake these first steps of the expedition than Jack Collins. Jack, how you doing? Not too bad. Got my climbing gear, got some you know, heat packs, got my thermals on. It's been real warm in London, so I'm actually sweating quite a lot, but I, we're all good. I got the influence for that opener because I watched the film Everest last nice, night, um, nice. which maybe isn't the best uh, analogy for, for what's going to happen uh, this season, because if you've seen that film, it doesn't end well. Everyone dies. Yeah, for anyone. <laughs> so, and if you haven't seen that film, Jack's now giving away exactly what I've happens. actually never seen it. I just assumed that everyone oh, dies. Yeah, everyone dies. <laughs> um, we will be back properly kind of next week in a studio with all four people. Uh, extenuating circumstances mean that we've had to find a Nero just off of Regent Street. But it's quite a nice little recording spot. Maybe it's, we should come here more often. I think it's, yeah, it's very, very pleasant. So very uh, quiet. Well, the last time I saw you, Jack, was... Um, for the Tony Khan interview uh, a couple of weeks ago and I just got to say the reaction to that has been uh, immense thank you so so much for all the kind words some of them publicly on Twitter but we've also had emails I've had DMs to me and I imagine you've had the same very similar and you know what it was a difficult interview I felt like there was a lot of pressure on that interview from all parties I'm sure Tony felt a bit of pressure coming into that as well and I think the reaction is probably just about as good as we could have hoped for, really, in that scenario. Absolutely. You know, it's always going to be tricky in those environments. You've got to ask questions that get people involved. But equally, there are, you know, certain limitations to that in terms of you have to do interviews on people's terms. And I think that's important. And, we, you know, we tried to find a balance. Uh, and it seems to me from the, from the responses that, that we did so. Yeah, exactly. So loads to discuss today. Um, and the obvious place to start is the news that came out last night. Perfect timing for this podcast. I, I had to give it to the, the press yeah, thanks, team for whatever reason that it was announced on a Sunday. Um, Alexander Mitrovic penning a new contract, not an extension, brand new deal till 2024. Not that the years really mean all that much when it comes to contracts these days, but it's a hefty deal. It's probably meaning he's almost certainly going to be the best played, paid player in the championship. Um, your initial thoughts about Fulham getting this one over the line? Yeah, obviously it's heartwarming to see Fulham keeping together, you know, him and Kearney now from, from last year's team in that we're, we're looking to strengthen and build on. And it, you know, it does come back to what was said in that interview that trying to keep the core of this team together uh, and then build from there. And I think that with Mitrovic, with Kearney, you imagine that Alfie Mawson isn't going anywhere. That spine is as strong as Annie in the championship. And if we can fill that out correctly, it gives me loads of hope that this you know season is going to be a successful one. You know, there will have been chats, talks with Mitrovic before this and you know, he's also not stupid. What there will have been agreements to have been in place are that if Fulham aren't challenging come January, he will be allowed to leave. So, you know, don't for 
any minute imagine that this is going to keep him at the club should we fail yeah. to, to be challenging at the right end of the championship. It's important to remember that this is basically a statement of intent that he thinks we can go back up first time of asking and that the club is backing that and, and it makes you know perfect sense if he's willing to, to put his heart and soul in and, and we've seen it so many times that he is a battler and will battle for Fulham on the pitch. Uh, he also brings tantamount quality to this side he's an excellent player probably slightly too good for the championship in many regards although we've said that before about different players and it it hasn't always come off so you know that's not to say it's going to be easy for him or he's going to suddenly bag 50 goals or whatever it's just that he is you know a very very good player and an international caliber player and, and someone that should do well in this division if the team around him is up to scratch well it was one of the things that tony gave us an inkling to on that podcast and any press really that came out of that podcast was all centered around his comments on Mitrovic where he was pretty certain that he was staying and even a slight bit of off-air chat afterwards to me and you indicated that he was more than positive that this was gonna come off. In the works at least. Yeah and um, Mitro in the interview with the club website was really complimentary about Tony and I thought those words spoke volumes it didn't seem something that was being forced upon Alexander to say no no not at all it, you know it's one of those things where there are lots of circumstances that that relate to this right you know he's got kids settled in London settled in school he obviously feels comfortable and happy with you know especially with the words he's come out and said now at the cottage but ultimately there will be extenuating factors if Mitch Rich was 19 and and not tied down to different places. You imagine yeah. this might be a different conversation. But he's reaching that stage of his life where he's you know, maturing into a, a very, very good footballer, but also a thoroughly decent human being by, by the sounds of what he's saying. Uh, and those things probably resonate a little bit harder around the cottage than, than, than some other things. You know, it's one thing to be you know, an absolute missile on the pitch, but if you're a, a good example off it as well and someone that's willing to put your heart and soul on the line and fight for what's right within the club, then, then it's going to be a double whammy. And I think that, that seems to be the case with Mitch. It's impressive though for me because in this day and age where loyalty is nowhere to be seen in football really, apart from a, a few shining examples, and this for me is one of them, he'll have had surely Premier League interest and when you think about clubs like West Ham who are now definitely in the market for a striker you imagine they would have been sniffing around they'd have been off able to compete financially with the offer even though I imagine what we've put on the table for Metro is a fantastic deal especially at this level and you know it wouldn't have even been that far for him to, to uproot and, and, go, and go to West Ham so it's a real mark of him and I'm, I'm 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 so impressed that we've managed to secure this. Absolutely. I mean, look, there's he's still young. He's a young player, 24 years old, like able to you know, look at his future in a, in a way that thinks that it's important for him to to find the right environments to be in. We've seen at Newcastle that he went into an environment which was a little bit unstable. You know, ownership, managers, sort of here and there. And and while West Ham isn't that kind of club to the same extent, there is always an element of what's going to explode next yeah. at West Ham. And, uh, and maybe he just thought, <laughs> that's loads of hassle. And I don't necessarily need that to, to, to be in my life right now. When I found somewhere that where I'm loved, I basically have an unconditional support of the fans, no matter what really happens. You know, Mitchell went through a, a barren spell at the end did, of last did. season and no one batted an eyelid. You know, uh, Barely, e- equally yeah. that Fulham were not very good. But... On the whole, you know, everyone, no one, no one was laying that at his door. I think he feels somewhere where he's comfortable and loved, and and in that, 
you know, at Fulham, we, we've managed to secure ourselves, you know, a very, very good player in, in a league potentially below where he should be playing. Well, yeah, he said, uh, since the first day I came here, I've received a great reception from everyone in the club and the fans. I feel motivated and every morning when I come here to work, I am happy. I found my happiness and passion here, which is the kind of quote that you can inject straight into my veins. Yeah. One arm hooked me up. Yeah, every single morning. But the fans really have taken to him and he made that comment after Bournemouth away last year where he said we have the best fans and there were there were supporters of other teams going oh yeah he'd, he'd say that about any club he said that about Newcastle he said that about Anderlecht and I remember a lot of Fulham fans arguing no this this is different and other other clubs didn't believe us and and, and here we are with um, a brilliant, brilliant result, and, and I saw that he is Bookie's favourites to be top scorer in the championship. And whilst there is some great striking pedigree in the second tier, on paper he's right up there with the best. Right, right up yeah, there. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there are great players in this division, uh, and there are also less great players. But he's already shown that he can do it at this level. He's not one of those players that you know came down and wasn't going to fight his corner, wasn't going to fight, and and his style suited it. And, and look. We have to see what it's like underneath Parker and and how Fulham are going to respond, you know, with going down a level, with a changing of the guard in, in some respects, and working out where where we are. But ultimately, with that core of Kenny and Mitrovic and Mawson now, I think we're in a good place to build. And I think that if you if we can make a couple of clever little additions and, and strengthen in the places where we need a little bit of depth, we're very very strong contenders. Yeah, well, great, great news that came out of the club yesterday and uh, absolutely delighted. And I'm certainly much more excited for the season waking up today than maybe I was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Speaking of transfers, for me, we definitely need to do some business. But already the most important things this summer have been achieved in the fact that we have secured the future of Kearney and Mitrovic. And one might say we're not going to secure the future of Ryan Sessegnon, but... I think we all we're all kind of expecting we, that, we accepted that yonks ago and although it does seem to be taking a while and the, and the rumours have died down but there, it is just a matter of time I think until that happens the main rumours of late have been centre-back orientated uh, Konza and, and from Brentford and, and Janssen from Leeds seem to be the oh and Hector of course uh, from Chelsea seem to be the trio that are being banded about online at the moment yeah, uh, and three very good players, three different players, I think, in many regards. Janssen's a bit of a heart and soul screamer um, who prioritises the team over the individual in many regards, I think, which which is something that you don't see as much these yeah. days. It is very much a, a scream and shout and, and everything for the team and individuals don't matter as much. And I think he will end up at Brentford. That's what that one's looking like. I think that frees up Conser. Conser's an exciting player. He hasn't actually played that much for Brentford. When he has played, he's looked excellent on the whole. He's yeah. uh, he's definitely a talent, uh, and I imagine the club are looking at bringing him in as a kind of Mawson can teach you, you know, a little bit of maturity. In it, but he is a class player, and I think we've seen that in the England youth setups as well as his you know his time in the Championship. And Michael Hector was phenomenal for Sheffield Wednesday last season in the Championship, and and their fans are up in arms that they're not. You know, getting they're not getting him back by by the looks of things, and so all of those bits in in themselves look like positives. Uh, I think who would you who would you you're, you're Tony Khan, and you have to pick one of them. All three are available. Let's not get too bogged down in price and all of that. Concert, I think. Um, I yeah. think it's important to build a centre back partnership that probably is good enough for the Premier League. 
Okay. Uh, and I think that Konza and Mawson would be the best answer we could have to that. I, I think, arguably, if we were looking at a short term, Hector's probably the best deal. Right. Um, but if you're looking to build a partnership into two players that could actually ha- you know, have very high ceilings in, in many regards, I think Konza and Mawson would be the answer I'd go for. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing comments from a lot of Leeds fans about Janssen and... They, I think the initial reaction was like, what? And then actually on reflection, especially as this looks like Bielsa's decision to let Janssen go, I think maybe some Leeds fans are just so trustful in, in Bielsa's thought process that actually maybe this is a, a wise move if maybe one that initially would be unpopular for them. Absolutely. I mean, you go back and look at that game against Aston Villa, right? Where they let... Yeah where they let Aston Villa score after a controversial opener and, and Janssen was absolutely up in arms about it. He was absolutely He didn't furious. want it to happen. Something inside of him yeah. couldn't process letting the other team score. Absolutely. And yeah. that is my kind of defender. Well, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. In many regards, it's also a little bit wary given that we have a new manager who you know might not struggle to play, keep players under his spell because he, but he knows a lot of the players already. But... You know, if there's dissent in the ranks, the last thing you need is, you know, an old head, international captain, material kind of leading a revolt on the pitch. Yeah. Uh, I I just think that Parker is going to be best suited to shaping young players at this point. And and he'll grow, obviously. And I'm not saying that his senior pros are going to walk out on him or there's going to be any. But Janssen does seem to have that fuse on him. You know, I think one of the comments were really like him as a player. Been sent off a few too many times for my liking. Yeah. And that's just like, yeah, I... You know, we don't really need a player that's going to just go hurling themselves into challenges, a last-minute defender. And, and whilst he is, you know, a, a bit of a kind of passion merchant, someone that, that will, you know, scream and die and bleed for it, I don't necessarily know if that's what we need right now. Mm. So so for me, yes, I would. if Jansen came in, I'd be delighted. I Don't get me wrong, this, none of this is saying that he's not a good player. I think he's a fantastic defender. Yeah. But on the whole, I think the temperaments of the other two and, and the kind of idea that they could grow into more than their current state would put them above him for me. Thing is, though, Janssen, for me, is a little bit of what we've been missing in Maybe, defense. Yeah. And, and especially, I feel like we, we have got a team full of leaders, especially midfield and up front. You've got Mitro and in midfield. Okay, Kenny, maybe not the born leader, but certainly has grown into it. You've got K-Mac and even people like Johansson really, really step up. And actually, I felt for a while that in defence, Marcus Bettinelli was really the, the focal point vocally of, of that. And whilst obviously Betts will be coming back in, I, I do wonder if actually something like a Janssen, just from a pure character point of view, would work. I haven't really seen quite enough of Konza to be able to make a huge decision on it, apart from the fact that it's going to wind up Brentford fans. is it's always, always a plus, always a plus. Um, for me. I mean, we're going very heavy in on centre-backs and they just seem to be like the crux of the rumours at the moment. Is that the most important position for you on the pitch if we're looking to sign anyone? It, it's a very, very important position for me because I still worry about all of our defenders being left-sided, left-sided. defenders. Yeah. Um, I think we need a right-sided defender to balance it out, maybe two. Uh, and I think you need a core of four centre-backs, really, that you can rely on. And I think we have two Three, Mawson, you know, Mawson, Lamarchon. Potentially, I, I mean, Tim Ream was was excellent for for the US in the Gold Cup. I watched quite a lot of him, and and he did do really, really well. But equally, I'm not sure where you're never quite sure these days which Tim Ream is gonna, you know, is gonna turn up. And especially if our team is less focused on 
ball playing out of the fence. I, mean, I hope they won't be, but if they are and we become a little bit more direct, which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it, you know we haven't quite seen how Parker is going to set up his teams yeah. yet. Then, then maybe Ream loses a little bit of his influence because so much of his kind of game is based on that kind of I can take the ball out of the fence and pick a pass. Um, and, and so it, it's interesting now how we go about that. I think that I would right hand, right side is centre back, right back and right wing, uh, left wing for me. Sorry, with Sesco's, we're gonna. I think we're gonna struggle for, yeah. for a wing. I think we need a, a, a winger in there. I think that's kind of it. You know, uh, the other thing is that you know whether. Whether you're a Christie fan or not, it's kind of one of those positions that I think might be ripe for a young player to come through. And I know there's been so much chat about Steven Sessegnon, but I truly believe that the player is Marlon Fossey. Uh, yeah, you've said I, this. I think that Fossey is the one that has the capacity to make that step up. And I really like him as a footballer. He's, he's really, really unlucky with injuries. Um, he's a little bit more forward thinking in many regards than than Cessnion is and so I think that if we're going to get a breakthrough player this year and I know we'll come on to Matt O'Reilly a little bit later in this in this podcast but if we're going to have a breakthrough player this year my immediate thoughts are that it would be Marlon Fossey or Marek Rodak well what you what I thought Slav played a blinder with when Sess came into the team that first year is you forget actually how him and Scott Malone rotated real rotation system almost like an old school rotation system that you don't really get nowadays and so if you're going to bring through one of those players you do need someone a little bit more experienced and probably Christie is the best person for that it's not going to be the most appealing prospect for a potential right back oh hey would you like to come in and we're going to swap you in and out with our young uh, protege who might take your place eventually yeah in a year or two however christy's already embedded in the club and might accept that situation and and i'd be and we've talked long and hard about christy over over many podcasts many years at championship level i'm absolutely fine i think he's more than capable championship left uh, right back you know he's He's fine. I was looking at some stats the other day. Only Matt Doherty competed more aerial clearances than Cyrus Christie in the Premier League for fullbacks last year. Okay. And I don't necessarily think this is you know, this is not the be all and end all. It was actually the conversation that was it was around was related to Jada Silver, who's just signed for Bristol City and how small he is. Yeah. And they were saying, Oh, they don't he doesn't win many aerial duels. But the person that was actually bottom of the aerial duels one list as a fullback was Trent Alexander Arnold. Right, okay. And, and and so it kind of goes to show that it doesn't necessarily mean but I was But also Trent Alexander Arnold has less opportunities to do aerial clearances I because it's there are plenty of factors involved and, and stats on their own can often be meaningless but I yeah. was interested that it was not Christie's wasn't how many it was percentage of aerial duels won and yeah. percentage or at, compared to uh, how many okay actual and his was second highest behind Matt Doherty and in a team that we're often criticised for lacking height physical ab- ability all of those things the fact that he won that many headers did interest me yeah and I mean when Cyrus Christie joined us from Middlesbrough 18 months ago, the same day that Mitrovic joined, we were all delighted. We thought it was a great coup by the club. But apart from some ropey performances against pretty high-caliber opposition, yeah. I, on the most part, he was fine. And we do kind of have to accept the, the level that we're at, really. Yeah, I think that you know, we can have this debate forever and ever and ever. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, 
we're not the ones that are going to be making the decision. Uh, and I think that if the club are happy with Cyrus Christie at right back, uh, and also that allows for some rotation in there to bring through some of the younger talent in the club, then that's probably a good thing on the whole. Yeah. I mean, it's quite odd to be in a season where the most important thing for me isn't necessarily the signings we bring in. It's stopping who goes out. And actually, I can't remember the last time in maybe in years where actually my main concern for a summer was who left not who necessarily comes in although there is a little bit of work to be done in the transfer market talking of one player that almost is definitely leaving it was reported by sam wallace in the telegraph earlier i mean it was not one that was a massive shock to us harvey elliott yeah um looks like he's on his way to liverpool a liverpool fan worth pointing out early okay interesting didn't actually realize that it's a um, very polarising reaction that I've seen to this. Most people just telling him that he's going to waste his career up there and that it's a terrible move. Your thoughts? Because I'm on the fence of this. We think that we know all of these players and, and what's best for them and all those things. But it's also very easy to forget that he's 15 years old. Yeah. You know, he, he's very young. He's not just young. He's... Like still basically a child, he could go up there and play in their, in their youth system for three years and he could break through and he'd still be a youngster. Yeah. <laughs> and that's important. And, and Liverpool have one of the best youth setups in the country, if not in the world, under the watchful eye of Alex Inglethorpe. You know, he's a talent. There's absolutely no doubting that Harvey Elliott is a talent. And at the moment, maybe for him, he feels like a big old fish in a very little pond uh, because he's that good. And, and, and I think given the way that he's been talked about, he probably is that good. Uh, and, you know, we've seen it when he came on, a couple of nice little touches. He looks lightweight, he looks small, but he's 15. You know, it, he goes up there and he plays along play, side players who are a bit bigger than him, a bit stronger than him, and, and maybe his attitude, which has been the main thing that people have criticised, maybe the attitude goes away. Uh, and you... And also, he's 15. Maybe he doesn't have that attitude by the time he's 17. No, no, I mean, I, down and I was a knob at 15. Yeah, precisely. So, like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's easy to criticise him and be like, oh, look on his Instagram, he's been posting about all these clubs that have been linked with him and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, like, you're going to get linked with the biggest clubs in the world when you're 15. That is going to turn your head. That's madness. Like, that, that's incredibly exciting. And in an age of social media, you know, he's one of the first players that will have come through with that kind of, you know, thing when he's already been on social media for all, all his life the natural thing is to tell your friends about it, isn't it i guess i mean it's just but seems mad though that a player who at that age is getting into a first team here would potentially jeopardize that when it looks like he's on a good path at the club he's at he's not at grimsby he's not at yeah. a random club in the scottish second tier he's at a top championship club that potentially could be in the Premier League by the time that he actually does start to break through, that does have a five-star youth academy and is already playing minutes for the first team. I mean, it does seem bonkers that he would be willing to risk that now. That's what I can't quite get my head around, Liverpool or not. Yeah, no, I know. But I mean, also, like, at the same time, if you put yourself in a slightly different perspective on on the same matter, if you were playing for... Leighton Orient at 15 and Fulham tried to sign you you're just the team you'd supported all your life even if you were close to getting in or you played a couple I, of times I, it's Orient. not really Harvey Elliott's 
decision making. He's 15 years old. It's the people above him. And maybe someone would say to me, Sammy, look, you're a big Fulham fan, but you're, you're, you're getting some minutes here at, at Leighton Orient, and there's plenty of time for your big, like more than plenty of time for yeah. your big dream move. We're talking about Alexander Mitrovic still being young, and he's nine years older. Yeah, no, you're, you're <laughs> absolutely. Right. I mean, it it just seems a little bit crazy, but it does reaffirm the suspicion that lots of us had towards the end of last season that really he must have only played those Premier League minutes because the club knew this was coming and that they are looking to improve the fee, which probably won't be much that they'll get. Uh, it's from a, another English club, so it will be significant. Given he's played minutes in the Premier League and the FA Cup, you will imagine that Harvey Elliott's fee will be not insignificant. It's not going to be anywhere near what he's worth mm. in many ways, but it will. There'll, there'll be money there coming in. So uh, it's better than nothing. Uh, and, you know, when, when Moussa Dembele moved to Celtic, we got... Pittance. pittance because of the way that the system works so the, the very least we'll get a decent tribunal fee out of this one so look good luck to him i hope he makes it you know it, it's such a risky move leaving when you're so young you can go and ask patrick roberts about it but patrick roberts is still young and has just made finally earned his premier league move right so, yeah so you can look at that as a as a negative example but equally patrick roberts has gone won six trophies at celtic played in the champions league gone to spain cut his craft over in Spain for a bit and is now coming back for a Premier League move and he's only what 22, 23 you know there are, people use that as the example to hold up be like oh don't do a Patrick Roberts but actually if you're Patrick Roberts you've done alright yeah the one for me that I think was the wrong move at the wrong time that you should actually look at for me is Emerson Hyndman yeah, of course. and whilst Atlanta is, a, is an amazing MLS club I, I follow them on Instagram and I mean I have no affiliation other than I just think it looks like a bloody really cool, cool club yeah. but it's not exactly the the career path that you'd be hoping for uh, so early on in your career. Maybe when you're later on in your career. No, but he's yeah, American. Which... He's, gone, he's gone home um, and he'll look at players like Miguel Almiron who have earned their way back across to Europe uh, and a burgeoning MLS to Germany pathway as well, which is, which is really starting to pay dividends for the likes of Alfonso Davis, for... Um, you know, a lot of different players that have now gone from from Weston McKenney at Schalke, for example, who has been brilliant, made absolute yeah. revelation over there. And he'll look at that and be like, I'm still young enough to earn that trip across back across the uh, pond. But again, he was start he was going to be a starter for a championship yeah. club that was on the was on the border of something pretty special because he left just as Fulham actually started Getting becoming good. good. Yeah. And he would have been not necessarily a central part of it, you, but who knows what would have happened. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I completely agree with you, but equally he might have looked at Lassie, who looked like he was going to be part of it for so long and then just never really was. And and you know that you, you look at that and people are like, oh, he should have got a go, he should have got a go, but ultimately I don't think there was space for him. And, and you know, we could have been looking at this with if Emerson Hyman had turned down that move, we could be in the same position talking about him having, you know, gone out on loan to... Coventry and not uh, impressed and, tra- and, and, and traipsed along doing that so you never know you know these decisions work out one way or another and, and and you know you have to kind of you assume that they might have worked out better at Fulham but that again that's just assumption as much as anything else is and I think that you know he's got to go and shoot his shot and if, if Harvey Eller decides that he's going to trade in that kind of shot at first team football for a, a chance to go and play for the, the team that he supports then I, I can't hold that against him either there's a bit of a a feeling amongst the fan base though about our youth system at the moment of are we doing the right thing 
what's what's kind of happening? Is it worth Fulham investing all this money in the youth setup that even when you get an absolute star like Ryan Sessegnon, even then he's not going to be sold for the the amount of money that he's actually really worth because of his contract being so short and you look at clubs like Brentford who don't have a youth academy and and think that it's a waste of money and it's just better to import talent from from abroad are we wasting our time a little bit we can't all do that because if we all just canned in the academies then there would be literally no pathway for any talent from well no of course (laughs) but in the micro sense of just Fulham making that kind of a decision no I don't think we're wasting our time I think it's important to remember that a club has more than a function as a football club it's also a bastion of community it's it's one of those things and bringing these people through in the academy every year even if 95% of them don't make and 95% of them won't you have to remember that in every given class 95% of people won't make it but even if if you play for you know the academy as a kid or or any of those things you'll always kind of have a bit of an affinity for it I think is one thing two it's something to do when when you're really young you know and my my little cousin is is a QPR fan plays for the QPR academy and it's the best thing in the world for him that he gets to play for the academy of the club he's only 10 years old but and I, and I do continually apologize to him for the fact that he's somehow been forced into supporting QPR but, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> but equally you know he goes to that academy and he pulls on the shirt and he plays for the academy and he's you know locked in he's very much a fan for life and i know it's not always like that but i think that it has a a, a kind of focus as a a pillar of the community a a part of society it helps to widen our catchment range in terms of fans as much as anything else you know if you're if you don't care about football and your son gets scouted fulham and he starts wanting to go to fulham games people are going to come along that's just kind of how it is and as long as the ticket prices go down um but it, it is one of those things where you i think it has more of a role than just bringing people through into the first team the academy is 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 kind of a crucial thing and even if we're selling players you know think about selling stevie humphreys to steven or south end and you know or or any of those deals that didn't quite come off jack grimmer at coventry and and all of those things they'll all make money for the club do you know what i mean every single one of those deals even selling those kind of players you know but then with the cost of uh, actually owning them and bringing them up through the years it's not making no of course it's not it's not it's not feeding it back but you're but you're putting that money into anything so it's kind of how it works that's just the kind of pitfalls of the system in in many regards i i I think we need to keep the academy i think it's something we should be proud of uh, and it will pay dividends later on down the line and especially if you know you know the worst was happened to fulham and we you know we really did start to slip and slide down the leagues you know having an academy base that you can actually pick from and uh, and do you know the best you can from it is important in terms of you know, keeping clubs afloat and all those kind of things. If you have a youth system that are built of good players that, you know, have talent and, and are brought through the right way, you'll always have some sort of pipeline to either money or talented players. Mm. And that, that's a good thing. No, completely. I mean, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate slightly with it, but it, it, avocado. it does feel at the moment like it's not the best time for the academy it's a, it's almost a transition time for the academy and lots of players who have kind of been on the cusp for a long time haven't quite made it and and, and you just wonder is anyone truly going to make it other than Ryan Sessegnon and, and even that one player that has made it is is leaving after a, a, a quite a, a quite a short time yeah no I think so us. I mean look the people that went to Bromley this weekend said that there were a couple of 
academy players who look class. And yes, it's probably in a pre-season friendly, but equally, you know, you've got to keep that coming. And, and, and there will always be only one or two. That That's the thing that I think we all fail to process quite a lot, that if we pick out, if you get two players out of a crop that are, are genuine first teamers, you've done well. Yeah, you have. Like, you've done really well. And, and that's kind of how it is. And it's always going to be like that because not everyone makes it. And and ultimately that's the kind of system that we're unfortunately in so if we can you know bring a couple through when we can and and try and keep that pipeline open without being silly with it then we're doing well um speaking of pre-season friendlies there was the one at bromley but uh the one that maybe caught the attention a little bit more was the side that played cambridge united at motspur park on saturday um I know you shouldn't read too much into friendlies, but no. I am a little concerned that a first half side of Bettinelli, Cyrus Christie, Dennis Adoy, Lamarchon, Mundell Smith, um, Francois McDonald, Tyreed and Floyd Ayite, uh, Harris and Santos Classe, a few youngsters in there, was 3 0 down to a League Two side that only just stayed up last year. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I am aware. Cambridge would have started their pre season before us, though, and by the sounds of it, we went 2 0 down very, very quickly and then sort of wrestle control back but couldn't score and okay. got hit on the break. So it is one of those where the second half apparently was just all Fulham. You know, I I'm, I'm agree with you. It's, 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 it's a worrying sign. You know, the fact that Benelli's conceded three and Rodak's conceded nil is a 1-0 Marek Rodak, according to the fan base. Well, yeah, the second half side that did win 1-0 effectively was uh, Rodak uh, Sessegnon, which I believe... Steven. Must, Steven. Uh, Mawson, uh, Mawson, um, Apoku, Brian, De La Torre, Kearney, O'Reilly, Cabano, Rui Font, uh, and, and Kamara. Yeah, exactly. The, the what lesses, did they say? Kamara, Cabano, the Kamara, Cabano, uh, Axis back in force. Um, but I mean, it's pre-season and yeah. rarely does Don Betts provide some perspective. Moments of clarity. On, on all things, but he did come up with a good point that we only won two out of seven preseason games in the year that we, we went promoted, up and yeah. probably had one of our best seasons in, in recent Although history. we did start that season badly, which well, is also a point to be had. Um, look, I, I think that there's probably a middle ground here. It's okay to be worried about the preseason games four games in. It's probably less wor- like okay to be worried about preseason games after their first game of the season where things didn't go quite to plan and everyone has only been back in training. Some, some not at all. Yeah. And some two or three days, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. Yet. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the problem with doing podcasts at this time of the season. You do, you've only got a few results to, to go off. I think, from it, for instance, from memory, I remember that Wolfsburg game. We were talking about this um, recently. We were rubbish that day. And we were rubbish. And that was the week before the season started. Yeah. And I was a tad worried then. And it actually proved to be a slow start to the season so yeah. maybe that West Ham game uh, a better you, indicator yeah a little are. bit of better indicator yeah. well, the squad will be off to Portugal nice um, I believe Dom Betts is heading out there of course he is um, and Dom's going to be on a couple of the upcoming podcasts so no doubt um, we'll have that, some insight that'll be one to make sure you tune in for for the, uh, for the Dom Betts appraisal of Fulham's abroad. pre-season tour yeah, which will exactly. probably involve absolutely zero football so yeah. we'll get onto that one later um, so we've got quite a lot of questions to let's answer um, let's ask them after a short break 
Fulhamish has teamed up once again with Beer52 to offer you guys a free crate of craft beer. Just go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and all you need to do is pay the postage and packaging which is $5.95 and you get a free crate of eight delicious craft beers from all around the world. There's no minimum commitment. You can just buy the free case, try the beers and see what you think and if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel anytime. So go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and claim your free case today. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Well, I hope you're enjoying the podcast being back. As I said, we will be weekly from this point until the beginning of the season. Then once the season begins, we will be back to bi-weekly podcasts. I always have been confused by the phrase bi-weekly because it could also mean every two weeks, couldn't it? And I don't think anyone has a clear-cut answer. No, I don't. I think it literally can mean both. I believe that it's one of those words that just does. Is that biannually? Is that once every two years or, or twice, twice every year. year? Yeah, it's one of those things where I don't think there's actually an answer. So we'll be back twice a week. If you are some sort of dictionary nerd and you do have an actual... I'm looking at you, Richard Osman. Uh, yeah, definite answer. Do tweet us at Fulhamish Pod. But to clarify, it will be twice a week, not once a fortnight because that would be a pretty poor show from a uh, fortnightly <laughs> yeah from a football podcast where Fine. games are played much more frequently than that all right questions uh been a little while since we've uh, done this let's li- go are you feeling a bit rusty on podcasting no i'm pretty. feeling i've been on pods every week oh well, yeah i mean some of us i keep are, rolling some of us are professionals I, i'm a little out of practice okay let's start uh with fm sweeper keeper Nice. How far is Matt O'Reilly from the first team? A Dortmund scout was raving about him six months ago, but there's been nothing mentioned of him around the first team since. Granted, the situation was probably a bit toxic to keep him in last season. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, we think Matt O'Reilly's pretty special. We're equally not sure, you know, because... We, we haven't seen him play that many first team games no. so you know I'm under the impression that I think Matt O'Reilly is a good player uh, equally you know there have been talk of us bringing in another centre midfielder we have McDonald Kearney you know Johansson Angisa you think Seri will leave they bring in another one we're going to have six midfielders you know who all can fill a first team role uh, and I don't know where that leaves Matt O'Reilly. You know, on the flip, if we don't bring in a midfielder, someone will be like, we're weak in the middle. So, you know, it's a tricky one for him. I think he's got to just keep his head down, keep working. And, and I assume that if he's, you know, if he's good enough, he will get the minutes. And, you know, Dortmund scouts talk. You know, it, it makes sense. Scout talk is a thing that they will do to unsettle players, get them for reduced fees, all of that thing. You know, and the fact that a couple of English youngsters now succeeded in the Bundesliga has made everyone immediately be like, oh, all English youngsters should go to Germany. And it's not quite like that. You know, there, there are plenty of opportunities. I think that if Matt O'Reilly is good enough and is, you know, hardworking enough, which I believe to be the case in on both counts, then he will get his chances this season. It's a bit of a shame for people like Matt O'Reilly that we have a bye to the second round of the Carabao Cup because actually that round one of the Carabao, uh, particularly if you end up playing a, a League Two team, we saw it at Wickham a couple of years ago, and we saw it at Leighton Orient a few years before that. Um, it Cody is a Woodrow re- scoring goal of the season. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Um, Ryan Sessegnon's debut um, was a real opportunity for some of those youngsters to make an impression and you and arguably it was a little bit of a path to Ryan Sessegnon getting in the first team for the championship game so quickly because he was so impressive that night at Brisbane Road um, 
East FFC, the away you're most looking forward to? I've got a few opinions on this. Middlesbrough, I think. Um, it's our only northeast in a way of the okay. of the campaign, and and I love the northeast. Went to uni up there, obviously. So just looking back, looking forward to getting back to Newcastle for for a big night out. And there's a couple. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to Leeds in mm-hmm. in March. It's the first ever time we've had Leeds in term time and in a midweek. Yeah. So you'd imagine that Leeds itself will be buzzing after that one. Um, you know, the, those kind of games really excite me. I've Forest away. Um, I've never done Forest. It's one of the few grounds in the old country that I haven't haven't made my way to. So, so them them three, I think, are the standouts for me. What about you? Uh, Forest is definitely there. I think it's Good Friday. Yes, um, which which is quite nice. It'll make getting there fairly tricky, but I think that's quite exciting. Um, weirdly, and this is going to sound really weird, I've never been to Stoke, yeah. and and I kind of want to get that one off my list belt. a little bit but I imagine when I get there I will realise the the error of my ways um, if I can manage to swing Luton Town on Boxing Day that of course is, is a stands out doesn't it is a very appealing one Charlton I've never done the Valley I love the Valley love, never love, done the Valley, the valley. I know your favourite fact about how it's the only ground where you can drink in view of the pitch there's only one bar though Dom has pointed out uh, so it's quite difficult to get a drink to watch in view of the pitch <laughs> you probably have to miss quite a lot of the game to get a spot at the bar where you can drink with, a view, pitch, with yeah. a view of the pitch so yeah and, and weirdly only if obviously things are going well but I've already earmarked Wigan away last day of the season if there's something riding on that the thought of Going us up to Wigan to get something taking a full allocation if we could I mean that like yeah, when magic. I saw Nor- when I saw Norwich do it at the end of last season I was like that could be us next year yeah, so I'm getting very very ahead of myself but yeah if, if we can achieve that also another little one I haven't done West Brom away no, West Brom is brilliant ground. I've I've been to West Brom. I've been to the uh, the Hawthorns, but I've never been with Fulham. Okay. Um. So it's uh, the highest ground in the country. Fact for you. Lovely fact. Above sea level. Yeah. Uh. So that's cool. Uh, and they sing the Lord's My Shepherd, <laughs> which is a really sort of random thing that came from. I was watching a documentary about it recently that comes from there. Uh, basically, they went to they used the first games on Sundays had West Brom in them, uh, right. and so they were like, "Oh, you're missing mass." So everybody sang the Lord's My Shepherd and it just stuck around and they start, they kept it as a club anthem. Fair yeah. enough. I, I quite like West Brom. I feel like if I was from the Midlands, West Brom's the kind of club I, I might support. Fair um, enough. This one from Reese Daly. Uh, Reese has written a few things for Fulham in, in the past. How easy would it be for you to welcome Sessignon, presumably Ryan, back into the side next season if we don't receive a suitable bid for him this summer, considering he has informed the club of his desire to leave? I'd find it fine as long as he signed a contract. There's, you know, there's so much riding this, and I know it's weird, but like he can literally walk away for free in January, and the last thing we need slash want is our one of our prize asses walking away for free in the club. So, Sessignon has a choice in that he either goes this summer or he signs a contract. I think. And what do you then put him in the under twenty threes if he yeah. doesn't? Yeah, I think you do. And what, don't even... But then that's surely counterintuitive. I mean, I know you maybe have to give Sessignon the threat that that will happen. Well, I mean... I, I guess I, then you have to follow through on your threat. Yeah, it's one of those where, like, we, we can't afford to have our prize assets walking away from the club for free. Like, we just can't. We, we, it's not a sustainable thing to do in the kind of 
situation the financial environment that we're currently in not that we're in financial trouble just that obviously parachute payments only go so far these days and we have to prepare ourselves even if we don't think or want us to be looking at another stint in the championship we need to prepare for the fact that that is an eventuality that could well happen and you know if we're going to do that that's not letting your prize assets walk away for free yeah and ultimately he either needs to find a buyer or he needs to at least just sign a two-year contract so that someone next summer can buy him for you know a fee rather than him walking away uh pavel kondov judging from the information about income and spend that's public knowledge how worried should we be about being ffp compliance financial fair play if the answer is very, what does the club have to do to counteract it? I'm certainly interested in this after the Kearney and Mitrovic deals, who are going to be on stonking amounts of money yep. for this level. Are we are we a little bit at risk with those? That is surely a bit of a risky move with some of those deals. And also, I'm slightly worried about the squad imbalance as well in terms of wage disparity between Kearney, Mitrovic, and then the rest of the squad. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're all valid concerns. I, I think that... F- Parachutes will cover us for a little while. Um, you know, I think Fulham are doing this thing that didn't work for Stoke last year. So I was going to make this point earlier about Mitrovic and Stoke came down with a squad and we were all like, well, they're going straight back up and they just didn't. Uh, and so we need to be aware that just signing good players doesn't necessarily mean that we're yeah. going to suddenly be cut, like walk, walk all over the championship. It might do, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. So when you look at that Stoke lineup that faced Leeds on the opening day of last season, I remember thinking, I mean, no one else has got a prayer. They're going to get 100 points and they just very much didn't even get close. Yeah. So, so, you know, one, we should be careful. And two, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about about Mitrovic. If we're not challenging in in January, Mitrovic will go for a substantial fee. Uh, And and you'd imagine that Kearney will next summer if we're, we're still down here. So, you know, there is there's that risk. There's a very real risk that this is a one, a kind of one-hit wonder in, in many ways. This is the, this is the go at it. And if not, we're going to have to reassess and rebuild from the bottom again. And, and that's fine. That's not a problem. It's just how it is. So, uh, in terms of being FFP uh, compliant, I think we'll probably be okay. Uh, I think because of the parachute payments. I think the parachute payments will cover us until a, a, to a point where we can then sell assets. Uh, but it comes back to exactly what we're saying there about Sessignon. We can't afford to let prize assets walk away from the club for free. It's just not something we can feasibly do. So we have to be very careful with things like Sessignon where we can't be you know, just letting them wander off. They, yeah. they have to be kept. We have to keep on top of our you know, our finances and things. But on the whole, I'm, I'm very confident in, in, our, in our books and our books being balanced. Nathan Vince, do we have the best team in the championship objectively? Because Leeds, Leeds. Uh, with the signing of Helder Costa, are very, very, very strong. Right now, Stoke are strong. Right now, Brentford worry me a lot. Ben, I think Saeed Bayrama and Neil Malpe are in the top five players in the championship. Yeah. And you have two of the top five players in the championship. I think Kenny and Mitrovic probably are as well, and then it's probably Costa. So you know we're looking. We're, we're in the mix, absolutely, one hundred percent. We're in the mix, um, but I, I do worry about plenty of clubs, to be honest. But but Brentford worry me. I, I, I'm assuming they're going to sell both Bahrama and and Morpé soon, so we can stop worrying about them a bit. Fingers crossed. Um, but. At the moment, I, I think you look at that squad that they have over there at Griffin Park and you, you'd be wrong to not be worried about it. Yeah, precisely. I mean, Leeds do look very, very good. You do just wonder, though, and it, it came true last season, can Bielsa sustain a title challenge? 
I, I think if I start going into the, the you know the the ins and outs of a Bielsa side then we could be here all day and I haven't unfortunately got that although we might do a special on just Bielsa yeah um look can they sustain it who knows and you know that the kind of high press they use is is something that can burn teams out and but you know Leeds also didn't just burn out last year they did a Leeds they literally were walking through to the playoff final and they bottled it yeah um and, and it wasn't burnout it was just it was they just lead they just did a lead and, and, and i think that as much as people are like oh we don't buy into the the kind of curse and like the doing a lead it's it's, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because the players got so worried about it that they then panicked and did it yeah. so you know the question isn't whether bielsa teams can sustain it's whether the leads cannot do a lead i think Okay, well, uh, that is it for the Fulhamish podcast today. Hope you've enjoyed us uh, being back. It feels good from my point of view. The summer has flown by. Good to be back on the mics. Um, all of a sudden, uh, we are here. So, yeah, there's plenty more Fulhamish content coming uh, in the next few weeks. If you haven't checked it out already, uh, Cam Ramsey's Transfer Room Roundup Part 3 uh, is on the website. So, uh, do check that out. Also, last week, uh, Jack Kelly and Joe Sansom uh, did an SW6 Essential update, just uh, mostly talking about transfer targets and stuff. So, if you want a little bit extra transfer chat, uh, do get onto the YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there we will be back with the podcast uh, next monday we won't be in a cafe nero or this this place is served as well i think we're coming back here aren't we yeah this could be our new resident hangout yeah if we ever need uh, an emergency in the week podcast, it's a new emergency think, pod location for could, lads. Be, could be our spot so thank you for listening today jack collins thank you very much thank you sammy for having me what should we uh, what should we name the podcast back to work back to work yes jack straight on the spot uh so cheers jack and we will see you very soon come on you whites toodles acast powers some of the world's best podcasts here's a show we recommend Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.